Well, I want to welcome everybody today. It's so good to be in God's house together. And I want to say a big hello to all those joining us online, along with all the men and women joining us in our correctional ministry. And we just counted it a privilege to have you a part of our church. So come on, come on, D-Town. Help me welcome our church family today. So good. Well, today we are actually in week number five of our uh, You Asked For It series where we are answering questions and covering topics that you asked for. And today I want to cover one of your top questions that you asked, and that is simply, how do I deal with anxiety, stress, and depression? Now, Right out of the gate, uh, how many? That's a loaded question. You guys gave me a lot of work to do on this Mother's Day. I'm just saying, but right out of the out of the gate, I think it's important for us to know that that we all struggle with these in some way, shape, or form. Maybe some of us have been greatly impacted by these. Maybe for others of us, they're just kind of looming around in the background as we go through different seasons and situations in our lives, but, but we all deal with them. In fact, I was getting my haircut this past week, and my barber, who's a, who's a follower of Jesus, he goes to another church, but obviously knows I'm a pastor. He said, what are you preaching on this week, pastor? And, and so I told him, he goes, oh, I don't, I don't struggle with anything like that. I've never been anxious. I've never had a problem with that. And he goes, I just think as a, as a follower of Jesus, we just have this hope. And in fact, just, the, uh, just last week, I, I went through my day, and man, nothing was going right. Everything was going wrong, and I was just so worked up and overwhelmed, and even when I got home at night, I laid down in my bed, and my heart was just pounding. I just couldn't fall asleep, and so I just prayed, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. He goes, I just prayed that like 20 or 30 times, and he goes, then I fell asleep. And I was like, so you've never dealt with Never, ever with anxiety, maybe just stress, just a little bit. No, we all have. He, he just was thinking of the big rocks, but how many of us know it can loom around in the background of our lives? And, and, and these three kind of categories, uh, these three things, they have their differences, but at the same time, how many of us know they're also, also closely connected too? And we could spend the next year talking about doing a deep dive on each and every one of them. And so as I was just kind of planning and praying and preparing for our time together today, I just kind of felt my spirit to really kind of narrow the focus today and our plan of attack, if you will. We'll kind of hit on all three, but the title of the message today is How to Attack Anxiety. How to attack anxiety, and I think it's important for us to learn how to attack anxiety, not only with the truth of God's word, that's important, but also we need to attack anxiety in practical ways, uh, so we're not reactive, but we're actually being proactive. And so today, I don't want to give us a, a defensive strategy against anxiety. I want to give a little offense. I want to put some offensive plays in our playbook and I was just thinking of a couple of maybe some of the most common uh, situations or seasons that we might find ourselves in that would cause anxiety to rise up in our lives. At least in my own life, I was thinking when I find myself in a situation where uh, it's out of my control, 
Anybody else? Especially as mothers, parents, fathers, like when we, when our, we send our kids off somewhere to school and we're, we're no longer watching them and they're out of our control. Can, I mean, some of that anxiety can start to, to rise up in us. And another time in my life I can battle maybe uh, anxiety or can start to rise up in, in my heart and in my life is when I find myself in a season or situation and I'm not sure what the outcome is gonna be. Like I find myself in uncharted territory and I'm not sure how it's going to go. But how many of us know that we'll constantly and consistently as we go through life find ourselves in situations, scenarios, and seasons that, that where things are out of our control and we're not sure what the outcome is going to be. And this is why faith is absolutely critical. This is why our faith is so important because how many of us know faith begins where understanding ends? Therefore, I need God's help to help me overcome the things I cannot control and to give me the courage to step into places I've never been. Am I talking to anyone besides me today? And I love this truth. The Apostle Paul reminds his young protege, young Timothy, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound Mind. How many know we just need to be reminded sometimes of the truth of God's word? No, no, no. God's not giving me, I might feel fear, but God's not giving me a spirit of fear. No, he's giving me power and love and a sound mind. I just want to speak this over us today. Whatever you're battling with, whatever's going on in your mind today, God has not given you a sick mind. You have been given a sound mind. God says, I've given you power. I've given you a strength, and I've given you a sound mind. I just want to remind us today that just because we might be dealing with anxiety or stress or maybe even depression, that we're not alone. You might feel alone, but I just want to remind you today, you're not alone. In fact, even as we read throughout scripture, we see a bunch of incredible men and women of God battle with these things too. I was thinking of Job and how he went through a tough time in his life and he was in such despair that he cursed the very fact that he was born. Abraham was so down on himself that he called himself the dust of the earth. Jonah, after he survived the whale and actually went and did what God called him to do, faced some adversity and he wanted to die because a worm ate his plant. I mean, that's a dark place. I'm just telling you that right now. <laughs> Paul said he despaired life. Jesus even said that his soul was exceedingly sorrowful even to the point of death. Elijah was known as the suicidal prophet. He actually asked God to kill him. David, who was known as a man after God's own heart, one minute was dancing with joy in the very presence of God, and then the next minute, he was writing a song asking God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? And so why am I going through this list? Because if these people were able to overcome, how many of us know we can overcome too? That if God did it for them, he'll do it for us too. And so today, man, we're gonna fight back against anxiety. And so the question is, how, how do we attack anxiety? Because I would say we don't wanna just wait until it happens. We don't wanna just wait till we're anxious or we're overwhelmed or we're stressed or we're down and we're depressed. Man, how do we fight back against it? And so I would suggest that we need both practices and the power of God's word. Let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. It says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word, somebody said good word. 
but a good word makes it glad. And this verse is telling us that anxiety causes depression, but a good word, man, a good word makes the heart glad. Anybody come to church today to hear a good word? Anybody come to church to hear a word from the Lord? Well, as a pastor, I don't just have one word for us today. I got four words, come on somebody, that I wanna give to us today. Four good words to help give us a plan of attack against anxiety. And let me give them to us uh, at first, and then we'll kind of break them down as we go. The first word I wanna give to us is the word name. Everybody say name. name. The second word is the word shift. Everybody say shift. Gotta be careful saying that in church. The third word that I wanna give to us today is, is the word stop. Everybody say stop. stop. And then the fourth word I wanna give to us today is the, is the word add. Everybody say add. Four good words to make our hearts glad. Four good words for a plan of attack against anxiety. You ready to go? Come on, let's jump into it. So here's the first one. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. And that is number one, we have to name the triggers. Name the triggers. This is very important because if we're not sure what the triggers are, how are we going to defeat it? How are we going to overcome it? How are we going to attack against it? And so just to give us a simple definition of what a trigger is to make sure we're all on the same page, a trigger is any stimulus, sight, smell, sound that impacts our behavior. Here's a question that we can ask ourselves. Do we know the triggers in our lives? Like, do we know the, the things that all of a sudden create a reaction out of us that makes us anxious and, and puts us into a depression? It, it could be a sight, it could be a smell, it could be a sound, something that causes a feeling. Maybe it's a, a place that we go to. Maybe it's a, an old song that, that we hear that has some memories attached to it. Maybe it's a certain time of the year. Maybe it's social media. Isn't it crazy that we can be dealing with anxiety, but we keep going back to the very place that's depleting us? Like we're overwhelmed, we're stressed out, we're anxious, and then we jump on social media and we're scrolling through seeing everybody's perfect life as we're looking around at all of our problems and issues and struggles, and it's just causing the anxiety and the stress to rise to another level, but yet we keep going back to that very place. And it's not just comparison either on social media, it can come with relationships too. Like back in my day, before social media, before MySpace hit it big, when it came to relationships, if you had a bad breakup with someone, you just kind of went on your own way, and you didn't really see that, that person much anymore, if ever again. But today is a different story. You can have a bad breakup with someone, and you can say goodbye in the physical, but you can keep following them in the digital, and all of a sudden you jump on social media, and you see how happy they are without you. And the anxiety and the stress just kind of, man, they look like they're even more happier without me than they were with me, right? So have we taken the time to name the triggers in our lives? This is extremely important if we're going to attack anxiety. And for many of us, we, we don't even know what's causing the anxiety. We know we're dealing with it. We know it's there. But what's causing it? Why is it rising up in our lives? And, and if you take a notes, you can write this down. That is the reason why naming our triggers are so important is because you cannot solve what you do not know. You can't solve what you don't know. And 
We might just keep the problem that a mistake that I've made in my life is like just keep attacking the symptoms, but the entire time I'm never getting down to the root of it. We see Jesus give us some great examples throughout scripture of how he named things. He named problems. He named sin. He named things and he attacked it head on. In fact, I was reminded of a story of this man who was demon possessed and he had, he had no control over himself. He, he was throwing himself on the ground. He was, he was, uh, people were concerned for, for his safety and other people's safety around them. And, and, uh, and so Jesus approaches, and I want to notice what Jesus says to him in Mark chapter five, verse nine. It says, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Isn't that an interesting question to, to ask? And he wasn't necessarily speaking to the man, he was speaking to the demon that was possessing him. And the, the demon responded, my name is Legion. And the verse goes on to say, because there are many of us. And if you go on to, to read the story, be, after Jesus got his name, he cast the demon out of him and actually allowed the demon to go into some pigs. And then the pigs ran and jump off, jumped off a cliff, which would be a great sermon title would be when pigs fly, right? <laughs> we should do that. Sometime, but once he got the name, he cast the demon out. And what's amazing is when you, when you cross-reference this story with Mark chapter nine, just, just four chapters later, there's a, there's a story of another man who is possessed by a demon. And so people bring this demon-possessed man to, to Jesus' disciples, and they're trying everything. I mean, they are praying every prayer they know to pray. They are praying certain words. They're blowing shafars. Come on, some of they, they're doing whatever they can. It's a church joke. They're doing whatever they can to try and get this demon to come out of them, and nothing is working. And so they ask Jesus, Jesus, we kind of need your help on this one because we've tried everything that we know. And take a look what happened, Mark chapter nine, verse 25. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, he spoke right to it, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. Jesus spoke right to the problem. He spoke right to the issue. And what I want us to see from this example that Jesus is giving to us is that we have to name it in order to change it. We have to understand what's causing the anxiety, what's causing the depression, what's causing the stress in our lives. It's not just the surface level circumstances, right? Those might bring it out, but rather it's something deeper that we have to uproot so that we can find healing to bring it into the light, to name it in order to change it. We're talking about attacking anxiety today. And so the first thing we do is name the triggers. The second word that I, good word that I wanna give to us is number two, we need to shift the spotlight. Shift the spotlight. This is so important because the way we think about ourselves, the way we view ourselves, the way we talk about ourselves makes all the difference in the world. Did you know that people 100% of the time will behave according to who they believe that they are? Because what we think about ourselves determines who we become in life. Not in your notes, but Proverbs chapter 23, verse seven, the Bible tells us that as a person thinks, so they become. And for so many of us, our self-talk and the way we view ourselves and the way we think about ourselves is so negative. Like we wouldn't even talk about our worst enemies the way we talk about ourselves. Or is it just me? Come on, give me, come on, help me preach today. We do this to ourselves, don't we? 
Like we think negative thoughts, we, we, we talk in, in negative ways, and because we believe that we're less than, how many of us know we start to behave like we're less than? We believe that we're broken, so we start to behave like we're broken. We believe that we don't deserve it, so we behave like we don't deserve it. And this is one of the many reasons why we need the truth of God's word in our lives and in our hearts. Because God's word, I mean, God's word supersedes our thoughts and our feelings. I might think this way, but God said it, and I'm gonna choose to side with God. I might feel this way, but God said this, and I'm gonna choose to align my choices up with what God says, because I know choices lead, feelings follow. God's word speaks to us and declares that you're not your past, you're not your mistakes, you're not your weaknesses, but rather you're a child of the king. You've been bought with a price, you've been chosen, you've been knit together in your mother's room. He's got a plan and a purpose for you. That's who you are. Do you ever notice that when it comes to our weaknesses and challenges and issues that, that somehow we just feel like the spotlight's on those things, like they're just amplified and everybody else sees it. Like everybody else can see all of our flaws. This is actually known um, as the spotlight effect, where in our minds we overestimate and we make something bigger than it actually is. And we believe that more people are watching us than they actually are. And so a lot of us are just walking through life with this like social anxiety. Like have you ever went to work or school and then when you got there you noticed like you had a stain on your shirt that you didn't know was there? Or maybe you woke up one morning and there was like a massive pimple right on the middle of your forehead and then you went to school or work that day and you're like, dang, everybody is looking at it. They're not even looking at me in my eyes. They're just looking at this thing, this horn growing on, my, growing on my forehead, right? You ever felt like that? Like everybody sees it. Everybody notices it. I, I love what Eleanor Roosevelt said. She said, you wouldn't worry so much about what others think of you if you realize how seldom they do. And what's interesting about the spotlight effect is it's not even true that, that people aren't paying nearly as much attention to us as we think that we are, they are. The spotlight's not really on us. You might have, you might have some weaknesses, but how I many you're not weak? You might have made some mistakes, but how I many you're not, you're, you're not a mistake? You might have made some, failed at times, but you're not a failure. We have to shift the spotlight. How we, how we see ourselves, church, really, really, really quadruple, really matters. Many of us are falling victim to what we believe others see about us and what others say about us, our mistakes, our failures, and it's causing this anxiety to, to rise up in us. And I'm just saying today, we need to shift the spotlight. Jesus did this all the time in the Bible, and one of my favorite times that Jesus did this was with the, the disciple Peter. And if you're familiar with Peter's story, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Okay, okay, some Bible scholars in the house. Let's take a look. <laughs> Don't get all pride, like you know more than me. John chapter 18, <laughs> I'm just teasing. John chapter 18, let's take a look at it together. It says, the servant girl, at the door said to Peter, you, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I'm not. And so here, Peter, like at this point in scripture, Jesus has been taken into custody. He's going through several illegal trials and he's getting ready to be crucified. And Peter, 
His whole world's been uprooted. He's following Jesus. He thought Jesus would rule and reign on the earth. And now he's been arrested and the disciples have scattered and he's standing at this charcoal fire. He said, hey, you're one of his followers too. He says, no, I'm not. I can only imagine what's going through his head. Maybe he'll get arrested too. Maybe he'll be crucified too. Maybe he'll be persecuted too. And his only way out is to deny who he actually is. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire. That's important. Because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. And so what we know from from this scripture is is that three times Peter denied Jesus and he did it while he was standing next to a charcoal fire. Now you might say, well, why, why is that important? Well, well, just three chapters later in John chapter 21, Jesus has already gone to the cross, right? He, he rose from the dead and, and proved that he had, had power over death, hell, and the grave. Come on, this is the good news that we celebrate that Jesus did for us. And then he comes, one of the first things he does after he rose from the dead is he goes and he finds Peter who had denied him not too long ago. Now, Peter had went back to what he did before he was a follower of Jesus. He went back to being a fisherman. And so he didn't just quit, quit on life after he made a mistake, which, by the way, Judas made the exact same mistake as Peter. He betrayed Jesus. And what did G- uh, Judas do? He isolated himself, which just intensifies our pain, and eventually he took his own life. Peter, although he betrayed Jesus, he still stayed in community back with his fishing buddies, his fishing friends, and his brothers. And, and so we see that isolation intensifies our pain. Community cures our pain. And Jesus comes and he finds Peter. And, and Peter is just docking his boats after being out all night fishing. And let's take a look. John chapter 21, starting in verse 9. It says, when they got out on land, they saw a, what they see? A charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Peter gets to shore and there he sees Jesus having a little fish fry on the beach. And there's a charcoal fire and Jesus is making them some food. And it was in this place Jesus asked Peter, not once, not twice, but three different times, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And I believe what is happening in this moment is Jesus is taking Peter back to this place of shame where the spotlight seems to be in Peter's life. And Jesus is now shifting the spotlight to a new charcoal fire on a beach. And he's given Peter this opportunity for every time that he betrayed him, every time he failed Jesus, every time he made that mistake, now he's giving him an opportunity to confess and reconfirm his love love for Jesus. Because Peter, you betrayed me, but you're not a betrayer. And Peter, you failed me, but you're not a failure. And Peter, you made a mistake, but Peter, you're not a mistake. And he shifted the spotlight. I believe it was in that moment, Peter's life was forever changed. 
No wonder, no wonder Jesus could build his church on this man because he encountered the grace of God. He encountered the love of God and he was different. Why? Because Jesus helped him shift the spotlight from his shame to who he really was. The question is, man, what what areas of shame do we have in our lives today that we need to rename it so we can reclaim it? What, 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 what we need to reframe some things so that we can reshape some things in our lives. We have to name our triggers. We have to shift the spotlight. And the number three, if you're taking notes, the third word is to stop. We gotta stop over-exaggerating things. Have you ever done this? I haven't, but... You ever blown something out of proportion or acted like the whole world was about to end because of what you were going through? You know, just last week or a couple weeks ago, my daughter says, I mean, it's always easy to give an example from somebody else's life. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, I had signed my daughter up for uh, a, a basketball clinic at the YMCA, and, and we were run, it was the first it was the first day of camp on this Saturday, and we were running a little bit behind. Pastor Justina was running a little bit behind <laughs> that day, and Tessa, she just starts kind of just freaking out, like, everybody's already started, and everybody's made all their friends, and everybody knows what they're doing, and they're not gonna let me play. They're not gonna let me in. I shouldn't even go. I'm like, hold on, take a breath. Did you even breathe during that five minutes that you were talking? How did you do that, right? No, and I just kind of Talked her into now. I already, already texted the director. He knows you're coming a little late. He said, it's no problem. They haven't even started yet. But, but in about five seconds, she went from cool, calm, and collected to freaking out. The whole world is ending. I'm not going to camp. And I just thought, I've, I've done that before. I haven't done as much as my wife, Justina, but I've done that. I've done that before. We gotta stop over-exaggerating things and making more out of something than what it really is. I mean, that's not helping us, and we've all done this. We've, we've all thought of a worst-case scenario. We, we've all been going into that situation, and we've all, before we've even entered that situation, we've already blown it out of proportion. Now, there's no point of even doing it anymore, right? And I think one of the reasons why we do it is we do it as a safety mechanism, right? We create this worst-case scenario in our minds, so if we don't get the promotion, or if the relationship doesn't work out, or if things don't go our way, maybe it's not going to hurt quite as bad. But it's a lie, because what's happening is that we're ruining and we're robbing ourselves of having peace in the present. I love what Mark Twain said. He said, I have a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. Research, research shows that around 80% of the things we worry about will never happen. 80% of the things that we get worked up about will never even happen, but we behave and we act like they will. And we're missing out on having peace today because we're worried about a problem that won't happen tomorrow. How will we use our thoughts? Do we think about what we're thinking about? How will we use our imagination? What will we dream about? Will we, will we glorify the problems in our lives or will we glorify a good God who has a plan for us? Jesus asked it this way in Matthew chapter six, verses 25 through 34. He said, he said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not as much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For those who don't know God, the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first. Everybody say, seek first. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For how many of us know tomorrow will be anxious for itself? There'll always be something in the future to worry about or to deal with. Let me just live in the present. These are the words of Jesus. Do not, how many times did he say, do not be anxious? That we would stop over-exaggerating things. And so we gotta name, shift, stop, and then the final word I wanna give to us today is number four, is add. Add a yet. Add a yet. And I've discovered that a lot of our anxiety has to do with the future. Like some of our anxiety comes from the reality that we're just not uh, in life, we're just not where we thought we would be. Just not where I saw myself being at this moment in my life. And, and so what do we do when our situation doesn't line up with our expectations? I'll tell us what to do. We add a yet. That when life hits us, when struggles come our way, it can be really easy to start losing hope and, 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 and really falling into the trap of, of not even thinking we can have a, a brighter future. Like, I just, I just don't see any way out of this. I don't think anything can, positive can happen. And if we're, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves not even believing God for more, not even asking God to show up in our situation. And we can start to give in to the darkness and we give in to the pain and we give in to the hurt. And if we're not careful, we can lose the, the fight that's on the inside of us. But how many know the Bible tells us to fight the good fight for the true faith? And every one of us as followers of Jesus that we would see past our problems and see the potential. And so what do we do? We add a yet. And we have time to study today, but uh, in Mark chapter six, Jesus just gets done feeding the 5,000. They have 12 basketfuls of food left over from five loaves of bread and two little fish tells the disciples to load up in a boat with the baskets of food and to set sail for the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The Bible tells us they got into a boat and they started rowing across the sea and Jesus stayed back on the, on the shore to spend some time praying with his heavenly Father. And the Bible tells us that they, they rowed about three or four miles and as they rowed about three or four miles, a storm came upon them which is really interesting because I've had the opportunity to go to Israel a couple of different times and actually take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. And it's, it's kind of in, it's a small, it kind of looks like a lake, just so you know. And, and it's, in the, it's in this, uh, kind of like this bowl, if you will. There's like this hillside that just wraps around it. And what's interesting is that Israelis to this day uh, talk about how amazed they are, how a storm can come over the hillside in an instant. All of a sudden it's a sunny day and in a moment, 
moment they'll look up and a storm is upon them and they have to hurry and get to the shore, which I just think is cool that they're telling me the story today and I'm reminded of a story in the Bible all those years ago. And so they're rowing across the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes upon them and they're trying to row through it and they started to get desperate. They start to become depleted. They start to lose hope and they cry out to Jesus. Bible tells us that Jesus stops praying and then he comes and he walks on water. But what's interesting is, as the Bible tells us, is they had rowed three or four miles to get across the, the sea or the lake, if you will. Uh, that part, the Sea of Galilee is actually only four miles wide. In other words, they had felt like they were on the verge of giving up when they were the closest to the other side. They were almost there and yet they were on the verge of giving up. And I just wanna encourage us today that if you're on the verge of, of giving up, to attack anxiety because every time we're at the point of giving up, we need to remind ourselves to add a yet because the other side is not far away. The other side is closer than we think. And so we add a yet. Here's what it looks like. Maybe you're battling a, a physical ailment and problem and, situ and it just seems like it's just never gonna go away. And you might say, I'm not healed. And I'm just encouraging us, add a yet. I'm not healed yet. I'm not married, single people, yet. I'm not sober yet. I, I haven't overcome this yet. The promise hasn't been fulfilled yet. I haven't seen revival yet. My business hasn't taken off yet. My marriage hasn't been restored yet. The prodigal hasn't come back home yet. Let me add a yet to whatever it is that I'm facing, my, whatever thing that is causing anxiety in my, let me add a yet. But yet I will praise him and yet I will worship him. Come on, we're fighting back against anxiety today, amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we love you in this place and we thank you for the practical truth of your word. We thank you that no matter what we're going through or no, no matter what we're up against, that you bring hope to the hopeless and freedom to the captive. And thank you for giving us a love that never fails. Today in this place, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want us to take a moment and, and pray this prayer right where you're at. Say, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to respond to the message today? reason why we pray this prayer is because we don't want to just be a hearer of God's word, we want to be a doer. God's, God's word has power when we apply it to our lives. Maybe you're here today and you've battled some anxiety, some stress, maybe some depression. I'm going to pray for you today. If you would be so bold. Maybe, maybe it's these, these things have greatly impacted your life or maybe they've just been looming around in the background season or situation you face, but you've been going through it. If that's you, would you just lift your hand to heaven right now? So I, I, I got some stress going on right now. I feel overwhelmed. I'm dealing with this at work. I'm dealing with this in my family. I've got some anxiety. I've even been just at the point of despair. Father, you see the hands in this place. And right now, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would bring times of refreshing to our souls that you would remind us that you've not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. God, I pray that you would give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. 
that it doesn't make sense, but there's a peace in my heart. God, I speak that over every hand raised in this place today, over every struggle, over every situation. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom. I'll pray over those situations that are out of our control, those, those situations or seasons that we're in where we're not sure what the outcome is going to be. God, I pray that you would give us a peace that even though we walk through these situations, we don't walk through them alone, that you're with us and that you would not leave us nor forsake us. And God, I pray that you would just bring this message to our remembrance as we're going through about our days, that we would name our triggers, that we would shift the, the spotlight, that we would stop over-exaggerating things and we would add a yet because we know our story isn't done yet. There's still hope. God, even now I just pray you bring a sense of peace we continue praying together today maybe maybe your life lacks hope maybe maybe there's stress maybe you feel overwhelmed maybe you're anxious maybe the reason is you've been going about it on your own you've been trying to handle things on your own you've been trying to do life on your own you've been trying to make it happen on your own greatest peace and the greatest joy that I've ever encountered in my life is when I stop trying to live my life for myself and do things in my own strength. And I came to the, the foot of the cross and I surrendered my life to Jesus. And I declared, apart from you, God, I can't do anything. I need you. Today, if you would say that you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've never surrendered your life, you've never placed your life in his hands, Today is your day. I want to give you that opportunity with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you need to, to make that decision, right where you're at, would you just lift your hand to heaven and say, here I am, God. I'm, I'm tired of doing things my way. I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of, I'm tired of trying to make things happen. Today, I want to surrender my life to you and rededicate my heart. And right where you're at, would you just pray this prayer with me? Say, God, thank you. Thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for believing in me even when I didn't believe in myself. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sin on the cross. Today, here's my life. Forgive me my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live. My life is yours. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give God some praise for all he did today.